Thanks for being a part of the Fearless Army. Drop us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and when you do, ask me a question in the comments. Each week, we'll compile your best questions and answer them on air. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I'm Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Tuesday. Uh, Do I have news for you? Do I have news for you? Not only do we have a great show planned for you today, we have two great shows planned for you today. Uh, Listen, I I can't uh, avoid talking about what's going on in Israel with Hamas And I can't not talk about what's going on in the sports world. There's part of the audience that uh, loves the conversation about sports. And then there's part of the audience that loves the conversation about culture and larger issues. And and the Israel-Hamas situation, what's going on in the Middle East, is so serious. I don't want to connect the two conversations. I don't want to talk about sports and then pivot to talking about Israel. I don't want to talk about Israel and then pivot to talking about sports. So we're going to do two two different shows today. We're going to talk some sports with Steve Kim and Brett Favre, the fun slinger, and we're going to do a second show that's talking about Israel, Hamas, and Palestine, and the Middle East, and we're going to tack on Tennessee Harmony to that. We're going to have Virgil and Anthony talk about the religious aspects and and a religious interpretation, a biblical interpretation of what's going on in the Middle East and how we as believers should think about that. So we'll start today with this first show about sports and Steve Kim and I will have a conversation about some issues going on in the sports world. Brett Favre will come in, we'll do some fun slinging with Brett Favre and that'll be one show. It will air first at six o'clock, and then at seven o'clock, we'll pivot to the more serious social, societal issues going on in the Middle East that involve the United States of America. So that's the game plan. Two great shows for you today. I wanna separate them. They'll both be released on Apple. They'll both be released on YouTube. Make sure you watch both shows. Uh, Before we get to Steve Kim, I wanna talk to you guys a little bit about Samaritan Ministries. Tired of someone else telling you where to go when you have a medical need? Are you ready to take control of your health care? Samaritan Ministries could be the solution you're looking for. They connect hundreds of thousands of Christians across the nation who come together through prayer, encouragement, and financial support when a medical need arises. It's not insurance, and you're not limited by restrictive networks. Say you have a medical need. You don't have to check and see what hospital is in your network or be concerned about the doctor being in network too. No, you go to the hospital, you choose, and don't give a second thought as to what's in network and what's not because with Samaritan Ministries, you're in control of your health care. Afterwards, fellow members pray for you and send money directly to you to help you pay your medical bills. And when they have a medical need, you'll do the same for them. That's what biblical health care sharing looks like. Check it out today at SamaritanMinistries.org slash fearless. That's SamaritanMinistries.org slash fearless. All right, uh, let's roll out to uh, Los Angeles and bring in the Korean Cosell, who I believe finally has his Monday night football uh Howard Cosell jacket. Uh, throw Steve Kim up here on the screen so I can take it. Oh, look at the real, look at the real Cosell. Look at that. that yeah. Oh man, that's awesome. Yeah. I hope you uh, wear that to a big fight out in Vegas uh, <laughs> one of these weekends, uh, just to irritate people and piss them off. Uh, Steve, I want to play you a clip. Uh, I want to start here with a discussion about the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, that involves. <laughs> the National Hockey League, and the Pittsburgh Penguins. The, the mm-hmm. NHL season's kicking off, the, the Penguins kick off, and the entire crowd 
is chanting about firing Matt Canada, the offensive coordinator for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Play the clip. This is wild. Mm-mm-mm. Pittsburgh is such a football town that they go to an NHL game and they're complaining about their offensive coordinator of their football team. But it raises a question for me. Is Matt Canada taking too much heat, uh, the offensive coordinator? Should, should people at the Penguins game uh, be chanting about Mike Tomlin, the head coach? Uh, is 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 the problems with the OC allowing perhaps Mike Tomlin to escape criticism? You know, uh, this. Anytime I go to a hockey game, I always expect to hear "Oh Canada," and, and I thought for a second that was a <laughs> uh, a referendum or a comment on Justin Trudeau. But look, Matt Canada is under fire, as he should be. But I think you do raise an interesting question. How much is this on the CEO? The head coach runs the offense in a sense that he hires the coordinators on both sides of the ball and for the most part lets them call their games and he makes three or four executive decisions. Now, I I disagree with you here, though. I think Mike Tomlin is a sacred cow and he deserves that. He's under no pressure whatsoever except to fix the offense either this season or at the beginning of the offseason. That's what I will say. I know that he hasn't had that great season in quite a while. But look, here's the reality. If you fire a Mike Tomlin, there's going to be about 15 teams lined up to get his services. And there's no guarantee you're going to get someone as good as that guy right there. Uh, I'm going to agree and disagree with you. Uh, Just remember, the Steelers over the last 60 years have had Chuck Knoll, Bill Cowher, and Mike Tomlin. And, and, and what that means, they'll feel real confident that their next coach will be successful. And I'll tell you why. And, and this word, I'll defend Mike Tomlin, is that organization moves as one. It's not a head coach that dominates the organization and makes the decisions. I'm not sure if we can pin Matt Canada as offensive coordinator solely or even primarily on Mike Tomlin. They make organizational decisions. The head coach does not have nearly as much autonomy in the Pittsburgh organization as perhaps Andy Reid has in Kansas City or Bill Belichick has in in New England. It's not that type of party in Pittsburgh, and that's part of the reason why I think the educated Pittsburgh fans there are screaming for Matt Canada's job and not Mike Tomlin's job because they know Mike Tomlin perhaps didn't even hire Matt Canada, that that was an organization decision. Right. Okay. So I I don't know how that system works over there, that corporate structure. However, just look at the raw record. 16, 15 and one last 30 some odd games. It's not great, but look at, the way he's handled this you had the descent and the retirement of big men right and then last year your best defensive player who might be the best defensive player in the league tj watt is injured and to even have that record and not to sink to the bottom of the ocean but to hover around 500 uh that to me is actually a great compliment to how this guy is the captain of the ss steelers And they still have a future. Look, this is where they have a decision with Matt Canada. If you truly believe that Kenny Smallhands Pickett is your future quarterback, you've got to get him a coordinator that he's in lockstep with because you have George Pickens, and then you invested. I don't want to say wasted, but you invested a first-round pick in Najee Harris. Okay? That, That offense, Matt Canada, I remember when he was at LSU years ago, They hated him in Baton Rouge. I think he only lasted one season with Ed Orgeron. So, look, that coordinator thing, to me, that's a small issue. I really believe as long as you have that man, Mike Tomlin, in charge of the football operations on the field, you will always have a chance. You know, the greatest compliment I could give him, Jason, is I've never looked at a Steeler team during his run for the most part and said, ah, they've quit on the guy. 
They've, I've never gotten that sense they've ever tuned him out. Mike Tomlins are rare, and I would say that he's gotten that status. Till he wants to leave, we are not showing him the door. We're going to make every effort to make sure he's in the best position to succeed because, again, there's no guarantee you're going to get that next Bill Cowher. Steve, I want to repeat again, and, and I'm defending Mike Tomlin. I, I agree with you in the defense of Mike Tomlin. But they've had three coaches in 60 years, and they all won Super Bowls, and they're all going to the Hall of Fame. Th that's an organization that makes it difficult for a coach to fail. And that's not me taking a shot at Tomlin, Bill Cowher, or Chuck Knoll, but the, the Steelers have a unique way of doing business, and trust me, whoever their next coach is, is probably going to be successful. Probably, but there's no guarantee. And let's go back about four years, four or five years ago. It looked to me, and I, and I think you would agree, that when they had big men at the very tail end of his prime in the twilight, Le'Veon Bell, all-purpose back, putting up monster numbers, and A.B., before we knew he was A.B., you're thinking, oh, God, this is the triplets. This is the triplets of the Steel City. They're going to make a run. And literally, it just fell apart. And I would argue, my, my, my view is, nobody else could have handled those firestorms one after another the way Tomlin did. That situation, the way it just played out, bang, 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 it would have sunk a lot of organizations. Other teams would have just imploded, and they would have just hit rock bottom. Tomlin, in my view, he was probably the, the stabilizing force that kept things together. It could not have been easy to have all those fiery, <laughs> inconsistent personalities all at once. Then all of a sudden you lose them, and yet here they are. I, I don't think the Steelers are that far away. I really don't. Uh, take away week one where they got blown out by maybe the best team in football – the Steelers are week in and week out a still, even with the Canada-led offense, a very, very tough out. Uh, Steve, let's move on to uh, Deion Sanders, a little daily dose of Deion oh, and Shadur. Uh, <laughs> oh, here we go. Uh, Coach Prime uh, is campaigning for his son to get a lucrative deal with a watch company or watchmaker or whatever. Uh, let's watch the clip of uh, Dion taking care of business. All these professional yeah. athletes showing the watch right now? We, we're on a bigger stage. We're on a bigger stage. First of all, much love and shout out to DJ Khaled, man. That, he's, he, shoot, he's the one stamped it. You know, when, when Khaled stamps it, it's, it's, it's 100. Like when Khaled stamped it and the Rick Rose stamped it, you know, that's, that's, that's hood royalty. That's, that's the royalty of... Uh, uh, social media, not only that, but that's just royalty, man. So uh, I love to see it. It's hilarious to me because we, he and I joke about it on a daily basis. We, we just got to get him a lucrative watch deal. He can't keep doing it for free. He can't keep, can't keep doing it for nothing. We got to capitalize now. He is my son. We got to capitalize on the moment, right? But I'm, I'm proud. I really am proud. I'm proud of all these kids, though. I really am. I'm hard on them, but I love them. You guys know I love them. And I want the best for them, and I'm proud of them. I, I want us to have a moment like this, and, and we have a plethora of kids getting ready to go in the draft. Hmm. He's very proud of his son flaunting his wealth in front of other people and the whole <laughs> in-your-face. He's very proud of it, and Dion's a great Christian leader, and he's an authentic Christian. He's very, very proud of his son flaunting his exorbitant wealth. Uh, your thoughts, Steve? I have a little different bench. If this is about black empowerment, black economy, black power, why not push your son to have his own line of watches? Don't beg for a sponsorship. Be the company. Seriously. I mean, do you want to be Diddy with Ciroc? Turns out he owned none of it. He was a highly paid spokesperson, and it was good for him, and he got some money from it. But all he was was a talking puppet. He had no ownership. Isn't ownership key and powerful? I would actually say, Shador, we got something here. Start your own line of watches. Own the company. Own the brand. Be the brand. See, right there what Dion did, I kind of get what he's doing. I actually think it's very short-sighted. What do you just think about they, they 
beat Arizona State and he runs to the student section. This is all part of his gimmick now, trash talking fans and opponents. It's unsportsmanlike, but keep in mind, Dion is the great Christian coach that has all the right values and he's just leading these kids all straight to heaven. Dion's the ultimate role model. He's, he's basically clapping as his son turns himself into Johnny Manziel, and he's talking about how proud he is that my son's just like Johnny Manziel. He, he flaunts his wealth, and he's an in-your-face player. What do you, am, am I just an old man yelling on the lawn, I guess, right now? Yeah, but which is fine. Uh, we should all act our age, but um, all the Dion jock snippers, there's your video you can do for the day as you glom off of Jason Whitlock. You ought to thank Jason, okay? Because at the end of the day, you guys all say, Jason is upset with Prime, or he's obsessed with them. Yeah, almost as much as you guys are obsessed with Jason Whitlock, which is the irony. But I, I do think, yes, you're right. Look, in college football, taunting and celebrating and planting flags on other teams' logos, to me, that's part of the fun culture of that sport. However, that's kind of reserved for big games when you actually beat someone that is, I don't know, good. That's actually your rival. Like Oklahoma, Texas, I thought was an incredible game. And Oklahoma, Dylan Gabriels does a great drive at the end, and everyone's celebrating, and everyone's kind of doing their. I'm thinking, you know what? That is well deserved. You just beat the number two team in the country. You got yourself into the Heisman race, and you turned around a blowout loss from last year. No matter what they would have done, I would have been said, you know what, Oklahoma, boomer sooner, you deserved it. However, when you beat the 10th best team in your conference on a last-second field goal, I would just kind of say, yay, we won, shake hands and get – but that's just me, though. Again, I'm an old guy, too. But there comes a point where no matter what Coach Prime or Shadur does, there's going to be a group of people that aren't going to like it. That may be you. And the other group that's going to defend it regardless. We have to live with that. Steve, I want to move on. I haven't gotten your take yet. I've been talking this week about uh, Rich Paul. Mm. Uh, He's got a book he's out promoting, Lucky Me. He's on it shirtless with a gold chain, with his looking like a little thug on the cover, with his Uh shorts kind of hanging off his his rear end. And and, and, uh, he's 60 Minutes did a profile on him, basically promoting the book. He's now making the talk show circuit in the sports world. And uh, I believe this is on first take or some interview he did where he complained that uh, white athletes uh, don't want him to work for them or white athletes have a problem with black agents. Here, let's watch the clip. I was talking to a friend of mine who works in sports and he said that as successful as Rich Paul is, that white athletes and white families, they don't trust a black sports agent. So I wanted to know, is that your, is that, is that an accurate statement? That's accurate. Yeah. Mm. Um, now that's not necessarily, you know, when, when we think about that, we, we're not, we're not, it's not international players because international players actually have a different outlook on it. Wow. And I represent an international player, Yusuf Nurkic. Mm. He's from Bosnia. So he has a different outlook on it. But if you grew up in, you know, Indiana or Georgia or, you know, Oklahoma or even Ohio for that matter. Yeah. No. Do you have any white American uh, athletes? Not one. Wow. No. Jeez. I mean, not in basketball. I don't represent. Right. No. Right. Right. Um, Yeah. It's, 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 it's. Oh yeah, that's that's a very tough thing for sure. 100%. As successful as you've been, that's yeah, wild. Yeah, you would so. think it'd be a line down the street, but it's not. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. So, a couple things I want to address here before you get rolling on it. <clears throat> hmm. I don't know. Uh, Rup, uh, Rich Paul into total what they call code switching. He, he turned on his white inside voice. Yeah, I can't believe that. Uh, uh, white athletes, but the uh, international players don't think that way. So, and, and again, just keep this is the guy that when he was on 60 Minutes talking to the black 60 Minutes reporter and walking through the hood in Cleveland, 
he had a whole different tone. He didn't sound anything like he just did talking to that guy. He had a whole different turn. He was trying to let everybody know he's from the streets and he was a hustler and he was, you know, dealing dope and shooting dice. And that's how he made money. The inauthenticity of this whole thing, all the stories about Rich Paul and being put out there like he's this great super agent and, and you know, now white athletes don't want to don't want to be represented by him, and it's because of racism, which is the inference. Uh, I, I just the fraudulence of Rich Paul and Clutch Sports uh, offends me, and I know I'll have the LeBron groupies upset and mad, and I know <laughs> here he goes attacking another black man. Have at it, gentlemen. I could care less. I got a set of values that I stick to, and I just apply them to every situation. And this code switching and phoniness and fraudulence uh, from Rich Paul offends me. Uh, your thoughts on uh, Rich Paul and his legacy, his dynasty that he's built? Don't don't think I didn't catch the fact you almost said RuPaul. That didn't get past me. I did. Excuse me. Yeah. But anyway, here's the thing. <laughs> Shouldn't Rich Paul have more of an issue if this is about a cultural uh, bias for black players that just go to white agents? Look, last I checked, white players can be represented by whoever they want. And there's always this thing about, well, we're comfortable around our own. You hear that a lot from people like Rich Paul. You know what? White people, the old glacier gliders, they could be more comfortable around other glacier gliders. It's natural. And... What, what I find ironic about it is you're showing that montage of pictures. Um, he's using that whole uh, agenda. And meanwhile, isn't he dating that white singer gal, Adele, or whatever her name is? But I, I do have a question. It, it is a matter of trust, but I don't think it's always about race or culture. Ask those dozens of players. Remember about 20 years ago, there was an agent by the name of Tank Black who just happened to be black. Um most of his clients were black. Turned out he embezzled a lot of money from them. And if you had to ask those guys in their private moments, off the record, at the end of the day, um, would you rather just had a safe, boring, white Jewish lawyer or a guy like David Falk who's never had an issue? So again, is it about that cultural loyalty, or do you hold want for a second? Hold hold for a second before you get in, you, you get yourself and me in a bunch of trouble. There's a long list of white agents that have ripped people off as sure well. And I'm sure th oh, financial planners and all that. Uh, I'll, you know, I'll, I, I, I've been through but, it myself. But to Cont say, but that, go ahead. say that there has to be like this uh, unity across the board or the fact that anyone should be guilted to hire somebody else that they're not comfortable with it's flimsy. It's a guilt trip. It is. And, you're you know, on, you know not with I was going to say, you're on much more solid ground in terms of, because what he's basically saying is, and again, he's not thinking of the person who I'm about to say, but he's basically saying, if Nick Bosa wasn't racist, I'd be representing him. Right. Or if Austin Reeves wasn't racist, the the player for the LA, I'd be representing him. And so now basically what he's trying to pressure and just like you said, guilt trip for, you want to prove you're not racist? Let Rich Paul represent you. And, and I'm just sorry, there are athletes, whether black or white, that know like, hey, Rich Paul, I don't want to sign up for his nonsense. Yes, he's gotten LeBron and Anthony Davis what they want and good deals, but that's easy. But there are a lot of guys that have a lot of complaints about uh, Rich Paul and deals that he put together for them and, and costed some guys, ran some guys out of the league with some of his actions. And they also know, and again, I, I got too much information and, and, and it bothers me that people won't even put out this. It's like Rich Paul's not negotiating deals. He first had a guy named Mark Termini, white dude that was doing the deal, that was actually negotiating the deals and was the brains behind what they were doing. And now a guy named Andy Miller does the deals for, for clutch sports. 
And so it's all a smokescreen and a gimmick. He's 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 P. Diddy and Ciroc. Now he's getting a lot of money, just like you said, he's profitable, but he's the face of something for other people that are actually doing the work. And there are people that know that and don't want to be involved. Yeah, and I, I just found it interesting. In another interview, he said, no one wanted to show me the ropes and mentor me. Let me just tell you something. If you came in with the head start of being LeBron James's pal and you were going to get certain privileges because of that, um, you're in the real world here, Rich. These are your competitors. Um, your competitors generally do not want to give you their industry or trade secrets. Honestly, there's nothing that says you have to mentor anybody. Um, just me personally, when people want to pick my brain, I always say, nah, I'd rather not have my brain pricked. Or when they want tips from me, I, just, yeah, I got no tips. Just work hard. No, I'm being serious. I'm not a, real, a big fan of like, I help everybody. No, I, I just give a general thing. Work hard. Be honest. Don't be a head. That's that's it. But am I going to teach you how to do the job? I'm not because I can't and I won't. It's not my job. My job is to do my job. Um, I'm, I'm not a phony about it. I know people are going to be turned off by it, but at least I'm honest about it. But for him to think that like the Drew Rosenhouses of the world are going to put their arm around him. Hey, kid, this is how kid, what world are you living in? Rich Paul. Well, Paul. he's basically probably taking a shot at Bill Strickland or Aaron Goodwin, or Bill Duffy, or some of these established black agents that have been around a long time in the NBA. And yeah. and and literally, again, go watch, I would ask Rich, go watch the 60 Minutes interview and tell me what black or white agent would say, oh, this guy thinks that shooting dice and dealing drugs prepared him to be an NBA agent. That's the guy I want to go mentor. And, <laughs> yeah, and Jason, those names, like Goodwin, I've heard of him. Think about what yeah. they had to go through. Um, they came up in an era where there was probably less black agents than ever. There was probably the structural, um, I would say, doubt that they could do the job based on prejudices and maybe just some flat-out racism. So these guys are the pioneers, right? They're the Jackie Robinson of that field. And they did not have the aid of having LeBron James or Michael Jordan or whoever was the best player in that era be your best friend. These guys probably really had to grind. And they may look at a Rich Paul and say, man, you were born on third base, but you think you hit a triple. If I were them, guess what? I wouldn't necessarily try to cut down Rich Paul, but I would understand that guy's a threat and he's a direct competitor. So why would they help him? Come on, be honest and, about it. And Everyone, literally, literally, li they're smart enough to know he doesn't need my help. LeBron James is his business partner, basically, and, and making calls and recruiting players. That's been going on the entire time. It's LeBron James's agency. LeBron does the actual work and the recruiting. He he he's got a nuclear weapon. He's got he's already on steroids, and he's complaining that hey, my competitors uh, didn't go to the weight room with me and teach me how to properly lift. Well, dude, you're on steroids. You got LeBron James. You'll you'll be just fine. It, literally, if LeBron's his only client that he ever gets, he'll still be wealthy. He'll still have, live a nice life. It's it's. Well, I have a question. It's a joke. So I want to wrap this up. Yeah. So how many does Rich Paul mentor his up and coming competitors? I mean, does he look at that? He would. He would argue yes. He would argue yes. He'd be right. There's. I can't think of the. There's a black woman that's head of Clutch's football deal that he says he's mentoring or whatever. But she represents Jalen Hurts, and again, she's another plant, another face, another prop that has been put out there in front while Andy Miller and others actually do the work. Uh, but it is what it is. I, I'm just irritated. <laughs> Let me move on to another another uh, topic. Robert Griffin III, RG3. Uh, I want to play you this clip of him dropping the F word mm. on uh, live TV, uh, courting controversy, and get your thoughts. Play the clip. 
I'm hearing guys talking about, oh, well, Lamar Jackson needs to be better. He needs to do this. The real question we need to ask is, is he getting enough out of the guys around him on offense before we start talking about his contract? He's out there fighting for his fudging life, man. I don't know what more the guy can do. There's another clip of that where he says that, and you can see Ryan Clark drop his head and, and out of embarrassment. And because RG3, from the suit to the glasses to his comments, he's just trolling and looking for attention. He knows by using the word fudging that people are going to think he's saying the F-bomb word. He could have said freaking. He could have he, he avoided it altogether. But he's courting the controversy, and then he's playing victim afterwards. Your thoughts? Well, RG3... Again, he's trying to be down because <laughs> we know why. But the, he he tries to be so cool that it's cringe. I, I mean, honestly, um, I, I I find it interesting that he. I don't understand this. He had. I remember when he was a player at Baylor, when he won the Heisman Trophy. I believe it was in two thousand eleven. It looked like to me he was a pretty straight lakes guy. I think his parents had a military background, if I'm not mistaken. And the word was that this is a solid individual. And it's almost like he's trying to come away from his roots to pander or to gain favor from a group of people that I think are naturally hesitant not to like him. Okay? And last I checked, it's funny that um, Dante Whitner is getting into a lot of trouble because of a phrase that he used to describe Dak Prescott's play. Um, I don't know. What is the line here? What Do we draw the line? And, you know, Robert Griffin III, to me, tries to always go viral. He tries to go viral a lot. And there's something inauthentic about it because it comes off to me as being very, very forced. It's completely forced and inauthentic. What did Dante Whitmer, I should know that, but I don't. What did Dante, what, what did he do? What did he say that got him in a little trouble? Well, he basically. What, how did he describe that? Well, he, he used the word that rhymes with yucks. That he said, that Prescott, flat out, uh-huh, yucks. It rhymes with it, okay? And now, look, personally, Sucks? I think it's. Uh, yeah. And now a lot of the media. That's a bad men, word? Uh, according to some, yeah. I. I and I wrote a tweet about it saying, well, wait a minute. See, now I want to defend Dante because I wouldn't have used that term. I would have used something different. But here's the issue, though, Jason. Do we want athletes to give blunt, honest assessments or not? Okay, and this is the other thing. This is the hypocrisy of the audience, especially people that rip you all the time, um, that didn't play Division One football. Dante Whitner was a really good player at Ohio State, had a really good co- uh, pro career. I mean, he could hit. I mean, he would not fit in today's game. They used to call him Dante Hittner. He would knock people out. So my view was, well, he's got the license, right? And now media members, I think, are protecting their own access. I said, you shouldn't say that. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Didn't Dante play football at a high level? Do you want honesty or not? And this is what gets me about people uh, that are always ripping you and TJ Moe. I, I, I tell people... Okay, well, one guy had a 1,000-yard season in the SEC. The other guy played football. Division One had his education paid for. So, again, is it about do you have that validity? Do you have that resume to say it? And then when a guy does, like a Dante Whitner, then you criticize it. Again, this is all about protecting access and trying to be politically correct. People do not want the blunt truth. They want to be lied to, and they want to soften it, or they are just trying to protect their own space. Uh, finally, Steve, not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I found it interesting. Uh, Wisconsin's women's coach, I think her name's Maria Mosley. We're talking women. I'm dragging you into my women's basketball conversation. By the way, I saw a picture of Caitlin Clark with Stephen A. Smith in New York City uh, recently, and I was very jealous. I got to be honest. I was very jealous of Stephen A. getting Getting to meet Caitlin Clark. Uh, but anyway, uh, Maria Mosley had some inter- had an interesting way of describing her team and celebrating her team. Let's watch the clip. 
If you look at my team, um, you know, we're pretty much the United Nations. Um, I have the first Indian woman to ever play at the Power Five. I have kids who are um, Nigerian and kids who are Dominican and kids who are Mexican and kids who are run-of-the-mill white, you know, because they're still there too. Um, but no, so I think it's really important that, um, and my mom is white, just if, so no one is, is offended. My mom is a white woman from the Berkshires, very white, okay? There you have it. Uh, another African-American making a racial mess. Uh, these, and I don't, I don't have a problem with African-Americans. And, and I know people don't like when I, I use that term. I don't use it maliciously. But again, anybody that knows me knows I have no problem with mixed race people, mixed race couples. Again, examine my own life. Anyway, so... Just want to be clear. Now I'm, I'm being just like Maria Mosley, covering my bases. But again, I, I, I look at the, the people that are half black, half white, and they spend all of their time trying to prove their blackness or trying to be, they're the experts on all these racial issues and they're all into diversity. And, and they seem to have this animus towards the white side of themselves. And so the white side of her is just run of the mill. Uh, and I can say that because my mother's very, very white. Uh, anyway, your thoughts. Well, I haven't picked up my Street and Smith Women's College Basketball Preview magazine <laughs> just yet. But how good is Wisconsin? How good are the Lady Badgers? I don't really know. I, I would ask, but are you actually recruiting the best roster available? Uh, um, if you are, that's fine. Uh, if you're not, then it brings into questions, what are we doing here? Your job is to win basketball games. The other thing that I've noticed, Jason, this, and I'm kind of coming out of left field with this, but I've noticed this in the last couple of years. And I'm looking at that uh, clip of RG3 and that uh, the lady, Pat Riley, that you just showed me. Have you noticed yeah. that certain eyewear, the frames on the glasses, if, if you're wearing a certain color or a certain type of frame, that is almost like a warning sign that, yeah, I'm a woke, liberal, loony, lefty. Am I wrong in that? <laughs> I've noticed it because I've looked at certain people no, like, oh, those are a dead giveaway. It's a, a dead giveaway. And it's almost like they're advertising it. So, yeah, those, those glass frames gave it away. I, I could see that coming a mile away with her. Uh, Maria Mosley's uh, record at Wisconsin over the past two years, the two years she's been there, 19 and 40. Uh, 8 and 21 her first okay. year, 11 and 19. But just remember, she's got a, the first Indian woman in Power Five. She's got Mexicans. She's got uh, Nigerians. And she's got run-of-the-mill white people. So w yeah, what's there to complain right. about? Yeah, yeah. Uh, forget a record. She's got a Punjabi power forward. Okay, here's the thing. I want to tell you right now. The University of Steve, if I was the Asian Sam Jankovic, the greatest athletic director Miami's ever had, God rest his soul, and if my coach was doing some sort of thing like that at basketball and we were 19 and 40, I'd say, buddy, come over here. You better get some brothers. You better get all brothers because I'm trying to win basketball games. Maybe a couple of white guys, maybe, maybe. <laughs> but if my team is not 80% black like Georgetown in 1985, I'm going to question what the hell you're doing. That's just the way I am. That's just me, though. That's just the University of Steve, not Wisconsin. Uh, Steve, uh, really like the gold jacket. I mean, really love it. The Cosell look. Uh, you're a Hall of Fame broadcaster. Now you're, look, you're dressing like uh, Howard Cosell. I'm telling you, wear that jacket to a no. to a big fight, fight night, and uh, oh really put yourself probably in danger of jeopardy, a stalker or or probably someone that hates me attacking you. Yeah, oh, be unbelievable. Yeah. All, right, be the uh, yeah. all right, that's the Korean Cosell. Let me take care of some business. Talk to you guys about uh, those of you that love to play daily fantasy sports prize picks. Will you be testing your skills on prize picks this football season? It's the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Prize picks is really simple to play. You can make your picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. 
Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, an enormous selection of players and stat types are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. My mom, she loves to play Prize Picks. She thinks she knows more about football than me. She's got her picks for uh, the Thursday night football game that involves the Kansas City Chiefs, my favorite team. Uh, Travis Kelsey, more than a half passing, receiving, rushing TDs. Basically, more than he's going to get a TD in some capacity. Uh, Isaiah Pacheco, more than 16 and a half rushing attempts. A little questionable about that one, Mom, but uh, not a bad pick. And then Russell Wilson, more <laughs> than a half of an interception. Uh, he thinks he's going to throw a pick. Uh, that's probably a good bet, Mom. Uh, so anyway, that's my mom's prize pick. See if you're better than her. Prize picks now offers Apple Pay for quick and easy deposits into your account this football season. Go to prizepicks.com slash fearless and use the promo code fearless for a first deposit match of up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash fearless. Use the promo code fearless. Prize picks. Daily fantasy sports made easy. Also, uh, don't forget before we get to Brett Favre, two shows today. Two shows. So after you're done watching this show, there will be another show that will focus on Israel and world events. We'll have some Tennessee Harmony on that. But Brett Favre is next. Don't forget, there's a second show tonight. Brett Favre, next. Warren Sapp and Keyshawn, previously on Fearless. What was the issue with you and Keyshawn? Why, why didn't y'all click? Uh, he followed me around the Pro Bowl the whole 1999 year when, you know, lobbied me, you know, put his wife with my wife, kids with my kids. Hey, man, I'm telling you, dog, you just lost the, the championship 11 to 6. I'll get you that touchdown. I guarantee you. Me me and you come together, we're going to get a Super Bowl, whatever. So I'm like, all right. So I go in because when you lose the NFC championship game back in the day, your coaching staff is now the coaching staff for the Pro Bowl. And Tony Dungy and us had a situation where we were – you know, about to fire Mike Mike Shula because the, the Glaciers weren't happy with the performance in the championship game. And then Tony said, if you fire him, you got to fire us all. So we almost lost our whole coaching staff. But that that came back together. And then I, I, I lobbied for Keyshawn on the team. I'm like, yo, let's go get him. He wants, but he's going to make more money than you. I have no, I, what? That That is never an issue in my locker room. Wives, kids, and money is off limits. So he came on the team. They got him a nice contract. We in the offseason running around, me, Brooks, and Lynch, and Rondé, the whole crew, out there doing what we do in the offseason, and there's no Keyshawn. I said, you said you are going to leave my offense, dog. Where, where you at, baby? Oh, um, I got some things in L.A. I need to take care of, you know. I'm like, no, 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 no. You told me you was going to leave my offense, so now I need you here. And now when he gets here, we break the huddle. <laughs> he don't know the play. He don't know where to line up. He don't know if he on or off the ball. Oh, man, trust me, dog. And then he didn't like Sean King. I'm like, well, Keyshawn, you're not getting another quarterback. <laughs> this is what you signed up for. We have Sean King, my man. You got to get along with King. Nah. Nah. And you know you don't bother my quarterback. Wow. So, so I'm telling you, it was ugly. Time to talk a little football with one of the greatest players in NFL history, the fun slinger, the gunslinger, Brett Favre. Let's roll out to Mississippi and bring in the man of the hour. Uh, Brett, uh, there are rumors and speculation in Minnesota, uh, an insider saying that the Minnesota Vikings could possibly trade Kirk Cousins uh, following the Justin Jefferson injury. Uh, do you think Kirk Cousins uh, perhaps would benefit from a change of scenery? you think it's maybe the right move for the Vikings uh, to move on from Kirk Cousins? Well, I'm a little bit surprised by the, by the news, if, if it's true. Um, 
in one respect. In another, I'm not surprised. Um, it's the wild, wild west, you know, the National Football League these days. Um, anything can happen to any player at any time. Kirk has been prolific for the Vikings from day one. But the, they seem to be missing something. And I can't, you can't obviously blame Kirk Cousins for it, but maybe they feel like their season is a wash, which is a little bit surprising if, if that's the case. Um, I know it hurts losing your number one receiver, maybe the best player on the team. Uh, so maybe they feel like they can they can get more in return with Kurt uh, by trading him um, at this point in the season. But time will tell. Um, sometimes a change of scenery for definitely for a quarterback is a good move. Um, so we'll see. The you mentioned, you know, Kirk puts up great numbers and, and then it seems in the postseason or in so-called clutch moments, he has a reputation of coming up short. Do, do you think that's an unfair knock on Kirk Cousins that he's not the best postseason player, or best player in the clutch? Do we have an unfair narrative? The guy's made a lot of money without much postseason or big game success. Yeah, well, I think that's the, the state of the game today, that guys get paid. And it's, it's not Kirk Cousins' fault. It's not any other player's fault. Uh, it is what it is. They pay an, uh, an, an enormous amount of money to guys. When, when I played and before my career, um, it was you got paid after you accomplished something. Uh, definitely for quarterback, it was postseason success. That, those days, I think, are long gone. So uh, I, I, I think it's a little unfair that any quarterback gets way too much glory and way too much blame. But that it is what it is. It, it's it's the nature of the position, and Kirk is well aware of that. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of factors that go into team success and their demise. And uh, unfortunately, the quarterback gets way too much of either. So it's a perfect segue into something I discussed earlier this week with Steve Kim about I don't believe I believe there's only three or four quarterbacks who should get paid mega amounts of money and and that someone's going to have to wake up and realize the era that we're in that this overpaying for all of these quarterbacks is not the way to go and that perhaps the way that the Detroit Lions have gone about it with Jared Goff and building a complete team around him the way the 49ers have gone with a young quarterback and Brock Purdy they let go of Trey Lance moved on from him and, and made room for Brock Purdy, last Mr. Irrelevant. I think he's only making $900,000 a year, or $900,000 this year. I, I think teams need to pull, if you got a Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers, uh, Joe Burrow, Josh, pay those guys. But everybody else, I'd treat them like Jared Goff. And, and try to get them for a reasonable amount and build a complete team around them. And then pay them is what you're, <laughs> you're getting at. I, I, I don't disagree with you at all. I, I think uh, yeah, I'm, I'm certainly not a capologist. I, I don't know the ins and outs of uh, the day-to-day -day stuff. Uh, they seem to make it, teams seem to make it work paying a quarterback a lot of money. Um, in spite of the team's lack of success or mediocre success. Um, but, you know, the 49ers did it by default. A um, couple of Garoppolo got hurt. Trey Lance got hurt. Okay, Brock, here's your chance. And he made the most of it. Uh, you know, I, I tend to think that there's a guy out there for, for a team that's like a Detroit 
that is a free agent or potentially trade worthy that maybe no one knows about that can come to, like a Taylor Heineke. Those guys, uh, there's, there's diamonds in the rough and, and oftentimes they're found by accident. They have no choice but to go to that guy. And Kurt Warner, for example. Um, so uh, I, I tend to agree with you there that that's a good way to approach building a team. Yeah, and Brett, where I eventually go to is like the the quarterback position. Where, I'm just sorry, it's been made easier. They don't call plays anymore. You got to ask permission to sack them. Uh, receivers, you can't really throw into danger anymore because you can't hit receivers as they cross the middle. The position has been made easier. Why not pay the guys less money and put more pieces around them rather than paying? We're throwing all this money at a position that has been made easier. It, it just doesn't make sense to me. And, and particularly when I, I really like the Detroit Lions and I like yeah. what they've done here with Jared Goff. And so to me, it's about pieces around you and who's your offensive coordinator, who's your head coach. I think Ben Johnson's doing a great job with Jared Goff. And, and obviously Kyle Shanahan has a magic touch with virtually any quarterback that plays for him. I'd be paying these coaches more money uh, than I would any of these random quarterbacks because the system and the pieces around matter more and the position has just gotten easier. I'm sorry. No, the position has gotten easier. Uh, defense is almost non-existent, and I'm not knocking any defense. It's just a, the, the nature of the game today. You only have 15 days in pads, I, I think, to practice the whole year, so you don't get to practice tackling. Um, you're absolutely right. Pass interference is is always a a good possibility if you just throw it up. Uh, you can't you can't put your hands on the receivers. Uh, you can't rush the passer the same way. So it is easier. Um, and and I, I agree. I, I like the Lions. I think that they've done it maybe the old fashioned way. Uh, they've kind of snuck up on a lot of people. Uh, 49ers, on the other hand, really are not going to sneak up on anyone. They've been pretty legit for a while. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I agree with you 100%. I'm, I'm going to fight to get you a, a general manager or president's job, and I'm going to devise a game plan for you on how to build a team and how to not overpay your quarterback, and you'll win a bunch of Super Bowls, and I'll get none of the credit. Uh, <laughs> I want to move on. Deion Sanders has uh, said something that I believe in, that they've diluted the Hall of Fame gold jacket, that, that you know, they turned it into it. He didn't say this, but my explanation is he's been criticized or he's criticized the Hall of Fame process. I have a deeper explanation. They've turned it into a television show the Hall of Fame deal, and so now you need six guys every year going into the Hall of Fame. And, and so, to me, in my view, th there are players going into the Hall of Fame that 20 years ago, no one would have thought, well, that's not really a Hall of Fame career. Uh, but anyway, Bill Cower was on a podcast uh, this week, and, and he disagreed. Bill Cower is also in the Hall of Fame. He disagreed with Dion's take. Let's play Bill Cower and we'll see what side you come down on. Dion said, why don't we have sort of a penthouse with the Hall of Fame? And I, I propose if you have first ballot Hall of Fame, then can you do a special floor for the uh, first ballot Hall of Famers? You know, Joe Montana, whoever it might be, uh, Dion, uh, do you have any problem with that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess I look at it from the standpoint of, you know, I think when you go to that lunch and I've gone now for, you know, for two straight years, um, you sit in there and I met this past year, I met Dick Buckus for the first time, my lifetime idol. I think we all recognize who 
there were some quality players and coaches in there that, you know, what they did was probably more than what you did. But yet, I think what you did was warrant of contribution of being recognized as one of the best at what you did. Um, you know, to sit there and who's to measure what that criteria is to put you into that other element of it. So I understand it. You know, I didn't go in as a first ballot. Um, maybe there's circumstances that don't put you in there for the first ballot. I wasn't, I, you know, and there was a lot of media involved with it. I wasn't one of the most cordial guys at press conferences at times, um, you know, and so at the same time, I feel very proud of the record that I had, and I, I will match it with, you know, um, a lot of the people that are in there. So, um, you know, and listen, we all recognize Deion Sanders. First bout, I think we all know the first bout, and we all know the players that are in there. But I think once you get in there to sit there and say there's a first class and second class, I think it'll be a disservice to the honor. Brett, uh, you were a first ballot Hall of Famer. No one questions your Hall of Fame credentials. Does Dion have a fair point, or is Bill Cowher right here? Well, I think both have a fair point. I think uh, it's really not – I feel like it's not my place to say guys should or should not be in the Hall of Fame. What I will say is that some of the guys maybe that are in the Hall of Fame, I think we place too much emphasis on statistics. St st statistics are important, yes. But that's not the only factor, in my opinion, that is important. What about a guy, whether it's a coach or a player, who changed the game, revolutionized? Maybe statistics are not uh, in his favor, but he changed the game, maybe by the way he called his offense or defense. Maybe the way Deacon Jones, he – he was the sack master before the sack uh, statistics even were in place. He changed the game. I don't know what his statistics are, but uh, but there's guys that, statistically speaking, haven't put up huge numbers but have changed the game. And I think that that is something that is, to me, very important in deciding whether or not someone should or should not be in the Hall of Fame. What did you think of, of Bill Cowher's point that, and, and this is where it gets sketchy to me, because I think he makes a good point, but he also, it's furthering my argument when he says, yeah, I think there's guys that are in the Hall of Fame that know there are other guys that did more than them. And... And that, to me, is saying, like, this isn't a group of equals. There, this is a group of, there are tiers to this. He's admitting that there are tiers and that, you know, what Bill Cower did, his record won't look the same as, say, Chuck Knoll. Again, he and Chuck Knoll are in the same Hall of Fame. Chuck Knoll has four Super Bowls. Bill Cower has one. It's it's and it used to be I'm I can I'm old enough to remember it's like no you had to win two Super Bowls as a coach before we even thought you were Hall of Fame caliber pretty much that standard has gone out the window and and then for me I got frustrated maybe a decade ago when I'm like I'm seeing guys I'm not gonna call them out particularly with your, your their peers with you in here but I it's like. I never thought of him as the best at his position during his playing career. How's he in the Hall of Fame? And that was always my standard. Was there a stretch of time where people thought, oh, this is the best guy that's playing his position right now in the NFL? That, to me, is what a Hall of Famer is. Yeah, I think that Coach Cowher's point is, is uh, he has a valid point. There are tiers to the Hall of Fame. It is the Hall of Fame, and that's the embodiment of the best players throughout. Is it exact? Absolutely not. Uh, I, I think if they, and maybe there are implemented protocols in which you have to live up to in order to be in the conversation. If they are, it seems like that, like you said, that's gotten watered down and the, the protocol has broken down somewhat. 
Um, but I, I doubt that they'll change it and put in the the Hall of Fame, the elite Hall of Fame, and the super elite Hall of Fame. I don't think I don't see that happening. <laughs> but I but I agree. Here would I be. My, go ahead. My solution would be easy, and what what should have happened, and what needs to happen. If you don't make the Hall of Fame within your first five years of eligibility, you should be eliminated as a candidate. Because what happens is it's the the guys that have been up five, six, seven, eight times. They start whining and complaining. They get a, a journalist to take up their case and cause. And the next thing you know, 12 years after they were first eligible, they become Hall of Famers. There should be a limited window of eligibility, and if you can't make it in then, sorry guys, you're not a Hall of Famer, then it's over, and then, and I apologize for calling the name Brett within your presence, but then I won't see Drew Pearson on TV crying and whining that they told me I was getting in. And then the next year they put him in because they were embarrassed because he was whining and crying on TV, and, and I, I, I don't want to drag you into me taking pot shots at Hall of Famers, but I just had to get that off my chest. <laughs> just five-year eligibility, and then it's over, and then everybody knows, like, well, dang, I didn't make it, and I won't be seeing them on TV whining and crying. What, what do you think about that solution? Um, I'm not opposed to it. Um, I, it I'm not opposed to it. I'm, I'm not saying that it's the right thing to do, but I'm not opposed. Yep. Yep. Uh, let me move on to uh, Dak Prescott, who had a terrible game uh, against the San Francisco 49ers, but uh, through three interceptions. Kurt Warner pointed out something I thought very interesting, and, and this again where I go to uh, coaching is, is just more critical than ever before. It, it, it's, it's, again, there used to be a time when quarterbacks were responsible for calling a significant amount of the game. They had to know the whole, now everything's on your wrist. They got an earpiece. The coaches are in control of everything. Kurt Warner points out that maybe Dak Prescott's not getting the best help from uh, your former head coach, Mike McCarthy, and the offense uh, that's being run in Dallas. Uh, let's watch Kurt Warner. There, but details are everything. We get the check down right here. Okay, we're going to run it later in the game. This is where we get the interception. Again, short side of the field. So we're having, uh, you know, we're cutting down space already. Okay, once again, you're going to watch depth. Look at the depth. Look at these guys. They're both breaking at the same exact time. And so when they're breaking, I mean, look at this linebacker right here. This linebacker is not in a position where you say, oh, throw the inside one. Because the inside one hasn't gotten across him yet. We've just cut down the space and we've made it impossible for Dak because he's trying to get this ball out. He's trying to get it out on time. But we don't get a read on the linebacker. We need a one-step go. Then you can decide if this guy wants to step down and take him away or this guy wants to stay high and wide. But you have no chance when they break at the same time. This linebacker hasn't done anything. He's not running out there. He just does it. Sorry, he just does it on the snap there, or I mean on the throw, and that's what leads to the interception. So depth on the outside, we want to be deeper than the inside one, gives us a problem. So he then followed up by showing the Bengals basically same formation but had the receivers to the wide side of the field, more spacing, and shows the inside slot receiver breaking before the outside receivers like the Bengals are doing it right here the Cowboys are doing it wrong I think Kurt Warner makes a fair point and I'm, I'm not the biggest Dak Prescott supporter but I'd love to get that type of breakdown and and to, anyway are, are the Cowboys perhaps not giving Dak the help he needs strategically um, well it's impossible for me to say I, I get what Kurt is talking about but we don't know what they're talking about in meetings and practice. They may be teaching exactly what he's saying, and the guys are just not running routes. That is very possible. It happens all the time that it it takes a while for things to click. Um, and there's no question that Dak seems to be pressing a little bit. 
receivers can certainly help or certainly hurt a quarterback um, by the routes that they run and the trust factor if it's not there. Um, now, they played a, maybe the best defense in football so at their place. So you better be on the top of your game anyway uh, because any any flaws or weaknesses are going to be exposed dramatically. I think Mike McCarthy's a heck of a play caller, um, is a good head coach. How much he's involved in the day-to-day meetings, I don't know. Uh, maybe he, if he isn't, maybe he needs to get back in uh, and, and, and be more hands-on. Again, if he isn't, I'm not saying he is or isn't. Um, but they, you know, they're a good football team. They got exposed the other night. So they got to clean some things up in a hurry or they're going to be in trouble. Maybe one other thing they need to clean up from, again, I'm old and I'm old school. I don't know if you saw this. They get beat 42 to 10. And after the game, put the picture up. Micah Parsons and, and Christian McCaffrey are doing a jersey swap on the field. I, I couldn't, I wouldn't want the jersey of a guy that just put 42 points on me and we just got embarrassed on Sunday Night Football. I wouldn't want to hang that jersey up in my house as a memento. But this is where we're at now with football. Everybody's BFF. And the, it's hard for me. It's disconcerting. It's hard for me to uh, buy into a, a jersey swap after getting embarrassed on national television in the primetime game, but uh, your thought, Michael Parsons, great player, but I, I, I just wouldn't be doing a post-game jersey swap after getting embarrassed. Well, I wouldn't do it publicly. I, I, I sort of agree with you. I, I think both those guys are tremendous players, and they're, it's the state of the game today. You see it almost uh, at every end of a football game, the jersey swap. Um, it's, the younger generation, this is what they, they know. Um, the days of the bitter rivals, I think, uh, are long gone. Uh, and, and that's you're seeing the state of the game today. It is what it is. Well, thank you, Brett. Uh, stay safe out there. Happy hunting. We'll see you next week. All right, Jason. All right. That's Brett Favre. I'm, I'm, I'm not doing a jersey swap after I get my butt kicked. It's not happening. But that's just me. Anyway, play some tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow. Waiting for the countdown, coming off the breakdown, standing in line for freedom. Looking for a breakout, feeling like a standoff, nothing in life like freedom. Came like a fighter, striking like a ladder, making all this moves for freedom. I want freedom. No negotiation, my system, no relation, we all just want to have freedom. Sitting on the corner, never been alone, I'm breaking my back for freedom. Bless, we are living, get back, we are receiving, all deceiving, we all want to be free. We want freedom. I just want, I wanna be, I just want.